Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are many people in the world today who admire Jesus and his teaching. They would list Jesus together with uh, some other great people from world history, like Gandhi, like Martin Luther King Jr., as people who have made a great impact on society and on humanity by teaching nonviolence and harmony among people. There are many scholars, I know a few of them, from communist countries who recognize that many of the societal advantages of the Western democratic countries like the United States are due at least in part to the fact that historically a majority of the people of those countries and of the founders of those countries were believers in Jesus. And so there is a trend among such people that has been called cultural Christianity. They want to follow Jesus' teachings far enough to reap those societal benefits, but they don't actually believe in him as their savior. Now this relates somewhat to an apologetic argument, a rational defense of the Christian faith that was popularized by the British author C.S. Lewis, who argued that you can't view Jesus as just a good moral teacher because the gospel books in the Bible, the records of Jesus' life and teaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those gospel books of the Bible, Jesus calls himself God, the Son of God. And so, since he calls himself God, there really are only three options for how we can legitimately view Jesus. Either he is a liar, he's simply a pretender, he's lying, claiming to be the Son of God when he knows very well that he is not. Or he is a lunatic, he's crazy, he's telling the truth from his perspective, but it's simply not true. He's just a madman, a lunatic, claiming to be God. Or the third option not a liar or a lunatic, but he really is the Lord. But as C.S. Lewis argues, what he simply cannot be, the opinion of Jesus that you simply rationally are not able to hold, is that he is just a good moral teacher. And so how sad it is when there are people who highly admire Jesus as a good moral teacher, but nevertheless refuse to believe in him as their savior. Now that apparently, though, is the way that the people of Capernaum in our gospel reading for today from Mark chapter 1 viewed Jesus. Now certainly, since they saw him drive out the demon from that possessed man, they recognized that he had supernatural power, and they recognized the authority in his teaching of God's word. But as we see from elsewhere in the gospels, they did not appear to believe him as their Lord and Savior. And we're given this account from the life of Jesus so that we might be called from merely admiring Jesus' power, authority, and life, and teaching, and instead to be confronted with him as he is, as the God who became man. We are called to accept him as God's provision for your life and mine the one who is to be the Lord of our lives. 
only through faith in him as our Savior can we be freed to live a fulfilled life in harmony with God's purpose for us. Mark's gospel gives us an account of Jesus preaching and doing miracles in Capernaum. Jesus went into the synagogue, uh, like the church of that time among the Jewish people, and he began to teach from God's word. The people were amazed at what he said and the way he said it, and then he backed up his words with a miracle that clearly demonstrated his authority over evil, over the power of the devil. And again, the people were amazed when they saw that miracle that he performed together with his powerful teaching from God's word. I suppose that we shouldn't be amazed that the people of Capernaum were amazed. Amazement is a person's first reaction to someone who does extraordinary things, whether in word or deed. So those people in Capernaum, after they had been listening for years upon years to their own rabbis who hemmed and hawed about the the laws and commandments of the Old Testament and who split hairs to try to determine how many steps you could walk on the Sabbath day before you were considered to be breaking the Sabbath by working too much, by walking too far. And now suddenly, the people were confronted with a man whose words had the ring of truth, who wasn't speaking simply about those minutiae of splitting hairs of of how to determine whether you have followed or broken God's law. No, things happened when Jesus spoke. He could simply say to a man who had been possessed for some time among them with a demon, be quiet! And immediately that demon whom no one else had been able to silence was quieted simply by that word of Jesus. But when Jesus spoke, everything changed. When Jesus said, come out of him, the demon obeyed. So they observed that surely this man spoke with authority. And so no wonder the people were amazed. You and I would surely also have been amazed if we were there. It's one thing to talk, but it's another thing to back up that talk with actions. Think about boxers or other athletes who trash talk their opponents before a match or a game. Well, talk is cheap, but it is actions in the ring or on the court or on the field or on the ice that really matter. And that is what Jesus did. His deeds backed up his words. His deeds gave the words that he spoke authority, and the people were amazed when they heard and saw those things. However, just simple amazement is not what Jesus was going for. He wasn't just trying to make people's jaws drop open when they saw what he could do. He wanted them to believe in him as their Savior. And that's precisely where we are in danger of coming up short also. Notice the question the people of Capernaum asked. They said, what is this? Not Who is this? They noticed only the new kind of teaching instead of the Lord, the Savior who delivered that powerful teaching. They marveled at the authority and power that he used to drive out the demon. But their reaction didn't come near to the real issue that was fearfully voiced by that demon who said, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? They missed 
that more basic and more important issue. What do we have to do with you? That's the question that every heart must ask about Jesus. It's a personal confrontation with Jesus, a call to know him as more than just an amazing man or a good moral teacher. It's a challenge to take the person of Jesus and his message seriously as God and Lord, as Savior. A demon that Jesus drove out saw it for himself, for itself, as a life-or-death matter. And so he asked in a pleading way, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Yes, that demon knew that this was more than just an amazing man. He knew that God incarnate, God himself, God made manifest, was standing there before him. Jesus confronts each of us in life or death terms. He will either be life for us, eternal life, or he will become our death. He will either be the one who gives us life and a full relationship of peace with God right now and forever in heaven, or else he will be our death, a stumbling block that will lead to unbelief and to eternal destruction in hell. And so, the choice before us about Jesus is utterly serious and important. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never perish. And in John chapter 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus confronts us so that the life he offers can become ours. Life is a truly reconciled and peaceful relationship with God. Life means having his breath, his spirit, actively living and breathing within us. It means having the relationship of Jesus put over us so that God now accepts us as his own dearly loved sons and daughters because of his son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Life with Jesus means living with faith in him as Lord. The life that Jesus offers becomes ours not by standing back and being amazed at his authority and his deeds, but by coming to him like that man possessed by an evil spirit and letting Jesus replace the sin that possesses us, the sin that had a stranglehold over our hearts and lives, and instead replacing that with faith in him as our Savior. But failure to do so leads ultimately to death, to separation forever from the love and forgiveness of God, and ultimately to final judgment that ends in hell. And so Jesus warns in John chapter 3, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God forbid that that would be the faith of any one of us. But when God's Spirit brings us faith to, face to face with Jesus as Lord, when we seek to have him cast out from our hearts and our lives everything that holds us in its possession and, and that holds us away from him, then our lives can truly be healed. When God's Spirit casts out unbelief from our hearts and replaces it with faith, 
then we are truly healed. Well, that doesn't mean, of course, that every thought, word, and action in our lives instantly becomes pure and holy. What has possessed us before we came to faith in Jesus, unbelief, our sinful nature, and the temptations of the devil, those things won't go away without kicking and screaming. Indeed, everything that is contrary to God won't be completely gone from our hearts and lives until the next life, until we reach heaven and live with God forever in perfection. But despite the kicking and screaming of the old sinful nature within us, everything that separates us from God will ultimately have to go. We ultimately will totally submit to the greater authority that seeks to take over our lives. Jesus himself and his will. And the result will be a life that reflects the purpose for which we were created. A life that reflects our God in, in the world of our relationships with one another. This kind of life in Christ will offer forgiveness to those who offend us because Jesus and his work of forgiveness has become ours. Such a life will reflect a concern for the welfare of others and will offer support to those who are in need, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, even to our employers, to help them to improve and protect their property and means of income. This new life, established in more and more people through faith in Jesus, would even move the whole world toward the fulfillment of what those Christ admirers envision, a world of people placing their neighbors' needs above their own. But such a utopia cannot even begin to function by merely admiring Jesus as a man, as a good moral teacher. This new life begins only by believing in him as Lord and Savior. And then, it's not merely a matter of imitating a noble person, but of being transformed through Jesus' forgiveness of our sins and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit within us. So today in the Gospel, we are confronted not merely with a Jesus to be admired and amazed at, but with a person of Jesus as Lord, as God, as Savior. We're faced with a crucial question, what do you want to do with me, Lord? So may God's Holy Spirit move us beyond amazement to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, so that we too may be healed and made new through our Savior Jesus.